welcome to the eighth episode of One Christian Things, a podcast that examines current events, politics, worldview, and ideologies from an explicitly Christian perspective. I am your host, Mike Hutton. If this is your first time listening, I ask that you press pause and listen to the first episode where I introduce the show, my motivations, and give some guiding principles. In this episode, I want to dig a little deeper into the COVID-19 pandemic. I just have a few more thoughts on it that I want to share before I take the podcast into a bit of a different direction. So the first thing I want to talk about in this episode is symbolism. For those of us who are Christians, we tend to think we have a pretty good understanding of symbolism. Much of the biblical language is symbolic, and through reading and study, we understand what it means. For example, we understand that the sacrifices that the Israelites were commanded to offer to God pointed towards, symbolized, the final sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The Old Testament animal sacrifices were not able to do any atoning work in and of themselves, but they symbolized the atoning work of Christ for our sins. But I think symbolism gets forgotten when we look around at our current reality, the physical world that we live in. We live in a very materialist culture, and that materialism affects our thinking as well. Everything we look at, everything we interact with, has a material explanation, a scientific explanation. While scientific explanations have allowed us to more fully understand the physical world, They have also caused us to lose connection with the spiritual and symbolic world. Indeed, more than one scientific philosopher has asserted that religion was only necessary before the scientific age to explain phenomenon that the ancients did not understand. But now that we have science, we can come up with rational explanations for things and we no longer need the spiritual explanations. This view has changed how we look at things. And more and more, people are saying we have lost touch with things that are more important than science. While science can be quite beneficial, it also has its limits. One limit of science is that it cannot give meaning. For example, while science can explain how the procreation of human life works, science cannot explain the meaning of human life or why we are here. Most scientists, when they're being honest, can only say that we're here by chance and there is no meaning to our life. It's only with symbolism and religion that we can realize the meaning of life. Looking at it one way, science can explain the how, but not the why. Science can explain how a fire works, how a chemical reaction gives off heat and light but it cannot explain the comfort we feel as we sit next to a fire, the sense of protection that a small fire gives off. Science can explain how a small pile of sticks with enough heat and oxygen gives off light and heat, but science cannot explain why people sit around campfires in the summer as a social activity when we have no need for the light or the heat given off. There's a symbolism to fire that we inherently understand without needing an explanation. 
And the Bible uses fire as a symbol as well. Many times referencing God as a consuming fire. We do not believe that God is actually a group of flames that burns whatever it touches. But symbolically, we understand what it means when God is called a consuming fire. Or consider what you feel when you look up into a cloudless, starry sky on a dark night, particularly when you're far away from city lights. Science has its explanations for what's going on up there, and if all you think about is the science, you probably won't feel much at all. But there's a reason why David wrote in Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? When we look up at a dark, starry sky, we get a glimpse of the infinite in direct contrast to the finite world around us, and it takes our breath away. So symbolism is something we all inherently understand. While we might not be able to explain it, or in other cases we might do our best to deny it, we still understand the meaning in the physical world. This is something that I only really got interested in a couple months ago when I started listening to a man named Jonathan Pajot. He's an artist, an Eastern Orthodox icon carver, which I'm sure many people in my audience disagree with on a theological level. But at the same time, this work has led him to understand the symbolic nature of things at a much deeper level than we normally consider. He has a YouTube channel and a website, which I'll link in the show notes. And he has many fascinating videos and podcast episodes that he has uploaded. For example, he discusses symbolism in everything from the Bible to current events to pop culture. There's some fascinating stuff there. He's also done at least one video. I've only seen one. But there's at least one on the symbolism of masks with respect to COVID-19. And this is where I want to get into COVID-19. The video is excellent. So I'll try to explain it and also expand on it a little bit here. But first, you might be wondering, why do we care about the symbolism around the pandemic? We know the science behind it. We know the science behind the lockdown, masks, and hand sanitizers. So what more can symbolism add? The reason I think this might be helpful, or at least the reason it's been helpful for me, is because I've seen lots of inconsistencies in the government interventions. For example, there are videos of masked news reporters badgering politicians about why masks haven't been made mandatory, only to have them remove their own masks as soon as they think the cameras are off. Or politicians themselves pushing masks and lockdowns for their citizens who are then caught in public without masks. There have been numerous politicians and policy advisors who have supported mask mandates, who were then caught on camera not wearing masks in airports, hair salons, and at social events. This has happened both in the States and in Canada. Now, many people are quick to decry this as hypocrisy, but we should be a little bit careful with that. Hypocrisy specifically refers to morality. So, if the politicians say that wearing a mask is morally superior to not wearing a mask, then yes, for them to not wear a mask is hypocrisy. 
But if they say that we should be wearing masks simply to prevent the spread of COVID, but don't link it to morality, then it's not really hypocrisy for them to not wear masks. But what it does show is that they don't necessarily believe the masks are necessary for themselves. It's not just a simple mistake to not wear a mask, as some people say, because in this political climate, especially when compliance with mask wearing is very near 100%, you have to be pretty deliberate to not wear a mask in public. Particularly for politicians who deal with this stuff every day and actually create the policies. For them to not wear masks, it's pretty deliberate. It might be a mistake that they got caught, but it wasn't a mistake to not wear the mask. And this goes both ways. There's politicians on both sides of the aisle that have been caught doing this. Another inconsistency that I see is in the messaging. Originally, masks were said to not help at all. Then, the experts said that masks are to stop you from spreading the virus to other people. So if you care for other people, you're going to wear a mask. Just a couple days ago, I saw an article that the CDC says that a mask actually protects the wearer. So which one is it? On a local level in the area where I live, masks were made mandatory while the number of COVID cases were trending rapidly down. Basically overnight, there was very close to 100% compliance with mask wearing and the number of cases continued to trend down. But then as the seasons changed from summer to fall, the number of cases started trending up again, even though just about everyone was still wearing masks. Would it be worse if masks weren't mandatory? Who knows? But masks aren't the end-all be-all, that's for sure. Finally, even the expert opinions on the government interventions have either been inconsistent or have been controversial. Not only have the leading experts changed their recommendations over time, but for every expert that supports the lockdowns, masks, and social distancing, there's another one who doesn't support it. Basically, there's just a whole lot of inconsistency and confusion among the people who we're supposed to be listening to. So it might help to dig into the symbolism of it all. I want to touch on three aspects. Hand washing or sanitizing, social distancing, and mask wearing. So first, what is the symbolism of hand washing? This one I think is, is pretty easy. The Bible is full of symbolic purification rituals. From the symbolic washings in the Old Testament to Psalm 26 verse 6 where David says, I wash my hands in innocence, to Pontius Pilate when he handed Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified in Matthew 27. It says there, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Public hand washing is symbolic of, pur of purification and of innocence. Now, with regards to COVID-19, I'm not saying that every individual who squirts a little bit of hand sanitizer on their hands is declaring their innocence, but when it's accepted on a societal level, it seems the symbolism is much more clear. Picture this. 
Someone, anyone, heads to a grocery store to pick up something for dinner. At the door, they slap on their mask and are greeted by a bottle of hand sanitizer, which they dutifully squirt into their hands and proceed to grab a cart that has been dutifully sanitized by a store employee. But then, as soon as they enter the store, they they reach up and adjust their mask, the same one that was hanging from their rearview mirror without being washed for the past month. They pull out their phone to look at their grocery list or to message someone quickly. The same phone that has been exposed to literally every type of bacteria without being sanitized. This is not hypothetical. Many studies have been conducted on cell phones as bacteria hosts. And two out of three phones were found to be contaminated by bacteria, up to and including things like streptococcus and E. coli potentially at 10 times the level of the bacteria on a toilet seat. Presumably, COVID-19 could also survive on a cell phone. Those sanitized hands aren't quite so sanitary anymore. So how much of hand sanitizing is based on real hard science and how much of it is just a, a symbolic purification, saying, I won't be guilty, I'm innocent, if, if someone around me catches the virus? On to social distancing. I don't, I don't really know if, if this amounts to symbolism, but who do you naturally distance yourself from? Ultimately, you distance yourself from people you don't trust. This is also quite literally the explanation for social distancing in COVID as well. You can't trust that you won't get COVID from the stranger you would normally brush shoulders with as you pass them on the street. You can't trust the person in the office that you normally chat with in the lunchroom because they might give you COVID. You can't even trust your family because they might also unwittingly give you the virus. At what point does that distrust go from being imposed by the government to being absorbed by us so that we have an inherent distrust of everyone we meet? As a bit of an aside on the subject of trust, COVID interventions also ask and, and try to answer the questions, who should we trust? And the answers that they give? The government. Even when I can't work, the government will pay me. Even if I can't trust anyone else, the nameless, faceless government will provide for me and support me. Finally, on to mask wearing. For anyone who isn't convinced of the symbolism, I've got a bit of a humorous story to tell about masks, which I think very clearly shows the symbolism of mask wearing. This happened three or four years ago at a Canadian March for Life in Ottawa. I did not really participate in the march, but I was there watching and attempting to interact with the other people who were also watching. At one point, there was a young man and his girlfriend. He was wearing a black mask and together they were hurling obscenities and rude gestures at the pro-life marchers. Clearly, they did not support the protest and wanted to make sure everyone knew. I thought that perhaps they might be interested in some civil discourse, so I approached them and asked them for their thoughts. Quickly, I became the target of all sorts of yelling, obscene gestures and threats to my personal safety. I wasn't too concerned as there were about 10,000 witnesses, including many police officers who were looking right at us, 
and I was wearing full motorcycle gear, as I had ridden in just a few minutes prior. Once the masked man felt he had made it quite clear that my, my life was in peril if I attempted to talk to them again, he stormed off, girlfriend in tow. He didn't storm very far, until he relaxed, removed his mask, pulled out his phone, and started chatting with his girlfriend. I thought, perfect. He's calmed down, he's ready to talk. So I approached him again, and asked him what this was all about. This time, his demeanor was nearly jovial. With a smile and a half-hearted laugh, he said something to the effect of, Oh, sorry man, I didn't know whose side you were on. I didn't realize you were pro-choice, my bad. And he reached out to shake my hand. I replied something like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm actually pro-life, I just wanted to discuss it. And what happened next was amazing. As his face contorted to a, a visible rage, he pulled his mask up to just below his eyes, unleashed a tirade of curses and threats, and then turned around and disappeared into the crowd. This young man, regardless of whether he could explain it or not, inherently knew the symbolism of masks. Wearing a mask represents a change in identity. When he was wearing a mask, he was a different person who was willing to do different things and to be completely uncivil, something he couldn't do when he was not wearing a mask. At that point, it wasn't about being anonymous because the same people saw the whole interaction. They saw him take his mask off and they saw him put it back on. The mask symbolized a change in identity that allowed his behavior to change as well. And this is what Jonathan Paggio talks about in one of his videos. I'll do my best to summarize it. Hopefully I don't twist his ideas to the point that they're unrecognizable, but if you want to watch the video itself, and I highly recommend it, the link is in the show notes. In the video, he links masks to veils. And what does a veil symbolize? A veil has always symbolized a changing identity. So, in the context of a wedding ceremony, the veil represents the bride's change in identity, which is also represented in her changing last name. So, prior to the wedding ceremony, the bride is identified by her father, which is why she has her father's last name. After the ceremony, the bride is identified by her husband, which is why she takes his last name. Her husband, when he lifts her veil, is the first person to see her in her new identity. Now, some people might not really like this symbolism, but that's what the wedding veil symbolizes. Likewise, with a mask, it symbolizes a changing identity. Jonathan Pajot points out, and I agree with him, that this is particularly relevant at this point in history. Just look at what else is going on around us. Protesters are in the streets, tearing down statues, which are monuments to an old identity, and then they clamor for a new, more equal world order. The cries to destroy the old identity, based apparently in the white patriarchy, have reached a crescendo. And all this is happening at the exact same time that we're told to wear masks and to prepare for the new normal, the new identity. What no one has answered is the question, when do the masks come off? What will the new normal be? 
what will our identity be? So we have the symbolism from the COVID interventions merging into some sort of dystopia. We can no longer trust the individuals around us, so we're forced to trust the government. We're forced to trust the government as we, as we prepare for a new social identity, a new normal. Those individuals who do not support the government policies, the constant hand washing, mask wearing, and social distancing, those people especially can't be trusted. In fact, they're probably the reason that COVID continues to spread. They're guilty. They are the public health concern. This type of thinking very easily leads to conspiracy theories. I find right now, particularly among right-wing media sources, there's a lot of speculation about what is coming in the next couple years. And it's not necessarily without merit. Prime Minister Trudeau has openly advocated for what is called the Great Reset. The Great Reset is essentially an international policy that would join the most powerful governments and the most powerful corporations together into some sort of corporate and political socialism. It will apparently allow for a more unified system to fight against threats like COVID. This is a policy that is supposed to be a great unifier, but almost humorously, I think the unifying factor would be that everyone's against it. Those on the political left generally dislike big private corporations, and those on the political right generally dislike big government. And people who see themselves as centrist dislike both. I just find it a little bit humorous that this plan tries to pull together the worst parts of either political system and, and we're supposed to unite behind that. But many people feel the threat is real, much more real than, th than the threat from COVID. This might seem odd to some. Worldwide, over a million people have died from COVID and people are worried about a speculative world government. Well, I think I can explain why that might be. It's the same reason why, at the beginning of COVID, I grimaced when I heard people compare the fight against COVID to World War II. They said, this is our World War II. It's just as great a threat, and we have to be just as unified when we fight it. No, I totally disagree. When someone says that, they're inherently denying evil. World War II was unifying because it was a fight against evil. COVID-19 is not evil. It's a reality of living in a fallen world. And this is also why the fight against COVID-19 has turned political. Because people disagree with how to deal with living in a fallen world. And even more so, many people even scoff at the idea of a fallen world. And that is reflected in their political ideas and policies. That's how religion and the spiritual realm influence COVID policy as well. If you deny that we live in a fallen world, if you deny that sin and evil exist, how you think about COVID and your policy solutions to it will reflect that. And this is why some people are afraid of a massive international government. Because of the possibility it will turn evil and use its unprecedented power for evil. So... To a certain extent, it's, it's pretty logical to be more worried about big government than big virus. 
It's so easy to get caught up in that line of thinking. It's so easy to be trapped in fear to the point that it becomes paralyzing. I know I have to constantly remind myself of two things when I start thinking that way. First, that God is in control. And second, God is working everything for my benefit. These are biblical truths that give the Christian a hope that nothing else can offer. Now, I'm not going to talk too much more about those two truths right now because I covered them last episode. But this episode, I want to give two other concrete ideas to help. If, if you find that you're getting trapped by fear, whether it's fear of the virus or fear of possible government interventions, the first idea that I have is to unplug. Stop listening, watching, browsing. Log out of social media for good if you can. Turn off cable news, stop listening to the radio, just get away from it. It doesn't have to be permanent, it just has to break the cycle of consumption. One thing that I did just recently was I got rid of the internet browser from my phone. I just deleted it. It's something I had thought about previously, but I always made excuses to keep it. After all, there's so much good stuff on the internet. But I started getting upset with how much time I was wasting, so I, I took the plunge and I just, just deleted it. Within two days, I was shocked at how different my life was. I had more time to enjoy the people closest to me, to play with my sons, to read books, and to just enjoy life. Without the constant bombardment of negative information, my days became a whole lot brighter. Yes, you might miss out on information, but if it's that important, someone else will tell you about it. I quickly realized after I deleted my browser, how much headspace was taken up by, when it came down to it, insignificant information. And then how much more headspace I was able to commit to things that actually mattered. Things that were inside my realm of influence. So the first idea is unplug as much as possible and use that extra time and headspace to be a positive influence wherever you can. The second idea that I have is to educate yourself. Grab a book, read something that You've always said you wanted to read, but never had the time. Particularly, work to understand ideas. Don't spend time filling your head with just information. The internet is full of information, but more often than not, that information just, just fills your headspace with stuff that's of little consequence to your daily life. The news is full of information but people rarely talk about ideas. Ideas are what help you to form principles and principles help you to take a consistent stand on issues. Maybe you want to dig into something theological like Calvinism or, or dispensationalism, or maybe you are interested in, in capitalism versus socialism. So then you read some Karl Marx or Adam Smith. Maybe you don't feel like any of that. You want to read about sports. There's some really interesting stuff written about the philosophy and practice of sports. My point is, don't just consume information that will 
not help you. Interact with ideas. Because when you do that, you develop a greater understanding of the world. And you're also able to develop principles on which to respond to the world. And moving on with the podcast, that's exactly the direction that I want to go in. It's going to be very challenging, but I want to interact with ideas, ideas that we don't really talk about. And then from interacting with those ideas, we can build a set of principles. It's pretty easy to just respond to current event issues in kind of a a knee-jerk reaction, but it's much more difficult to develop a set of principles on which to stand. That's my goal. So my next episode will be a discussion of freedom, which should be pretty interesting. As Christians, we confess that we're free in Christ, but what about freedom in this world? Is that something we should work for? Or is it something that doesn't really matter? And then after that, I want to discuss ideas like capitalism and socialism, small and big government, nationalism and globalism, and really whatever other topic that I come across that I find interesting. This is all very applicable because when we interact with these ideas, then we can develop principles that allow us to answer questions like, was Jesus a socialist? Or is public healthcare better than private healthcare? Or how can we best help the poor and oppressed? So stay tuned as I dig into these issues. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, like, share, subscribe. Feel free to find the One Christian Thinks Facebook page. I'd love it if you'd leave a comment or share it with other people. Of course, unless you're unplugging. Then just just get rid of Facebook. Don't look back. You won't miss it. But more importantly, as I've said, have these conversations with other people in your life. Society on on a lot of issues is split pretty much 50-50. We saw this in the recent U.S. election. We're pretty much split 50-50 on most issues. So you never know who will be willing to have a discussion with you or whose life you can affect in a positive way. There's a growing movement of people who are interested in discussion, who are interested in truth. And as Christians, we have the truth to share. You never know what what effect that might have. Also, if you want to contact me, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, you can do that through the Facebook page as well or by email. My email is oct at allmail.net. That's OCT, which stands for One Christian Thinks, at A-L-L-M-A-I-L dot net. Until next time, keep thinking.